This is Global Crisis Watch. Former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East and current ABC News National Defense and Security Analyst Mick Mulroy joins the Media Mavens podcast for a live monthly segment to discuss crucial world events. And here is the host of Global Crisis Watch, the CEO of Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. This is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, and your host today for Media Maven's podcast and Global Crisis Watch with my co-host, Joe Pirates. What's up, Joe? Hello, everything's good on this morning. Let's uh, get this party started. Uh, It's super early in the Saturday, but I'm super excited um, with Global Crisis Watch because we have Michael Patrick Mulroy, former CIA, uh, ABC News Correspondents, Defense and Security and the co-founder of the Lobo Institute. And we are talking to these guys live from Uganda right now. And Mick, you're down with Anthony Opoka. And one of some of the things that you're working on why you guys are down there right now is because you're putting a lot of efforts into the child soldiering and the LRA and all the uprising that's going on down there. And so we're super excited because I know it's a long ways to go. And I know you guys are the time change, I think you guys are like 10 hours ahead of us or nine. So I do appreciate you guys taking the time down there to call in and talk to us right now. Cause I know you guys have a lot to do, but like, we're super excited to have you here. And we're excited to have Anthony here because you guys are doing this documentary. I'm just gonna kind of catch the chase here for um, everybody's timing and internet access sake is that you guys are down there working on this documentary that um, was it Mark Mark Sullivan is working on on child soldiering? So you're interviewing Anthony. You're trying to wrap this up, but I know we want to support your efforts and the Global Institute with some of these podcasts and with Global Crisis Watch to help you guys end a major crisis in Uganda and around the world to stop child soldiering. So we are super honored to have you live with us with Anthony on this podcast right now. But give us a little background on child soldiering, what you guys are doing down there, and how this kind of came about. Because we have a lot of questions for Anthony you want to dig into on the show right now. Yeah, absolutely. And we're super excited to be here. And like I mentioned, there's a giant rainstorm going through here. So hopefully we stay connected. Uh, They need the rain, so they're very happy about that. Um, but we are here um, with my Omera, which surely uh, means brother, and um, uh, he is my brother, um, Anthony Opoka, and it, the story's all about it. Uh, an insurgency against the government, government of Uganda called the Lord's Resistance Army, and it was somewhat uh, infamous for the use of children as soldiers. Uh, so Anthony was one of those soldiers, and I'll let him tell his story because there's nobody better at that. But I became friends with him in our, when I was here seven years ago, and my partner, who you know well, um, Eric Ulrich, and I did a documentary on him and his wife uh, Florence's story because it's just as much her story uh, as Anthony's. And that became pretty well known amongst the groups that deal with the child soldier issue. Uh, and because of that, we started screening it at universities, think tanks, and other benevolent institutions uh, to raise money, quite frankly, and, and awareness for these other groups. Uh, and we became involved with the grassroots reconciliation group that we started our own uh, and child soldiering. Uh, but Mark Sullivan, 
who is a really well-known author and an extraordinary author uh, from the same state we're from, Montana, saw the story and wanted to write the book. So we are here, and we've been here for like nine days so far, so that he could go out to the villages, very remote parts of Uganda, with Anthony and Florence, and get a very detailed depiction of their story. And that effort already has led to a pretty major contribution to Grassroots Reconciliation Group, which is a group here that helps former LRA soldiers, and the NGO that we started, which is uh, global. And child soldiering is a global thing, not just based in Uganda. Yeah. It's, um, it, 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 how, and I know we have a little bit of a delay here, but I want to kind of get into this, Mick. How, I don't know if this is a, how to phrase this, because I know it's still a huge ongoing issue, but has this issue of child soldiering gotten worse over the past years? Has it gotten better? Is it the same? How active is it in the areas that you live in right now, Anthony, and where you guys are right now on this podcast? So during the, the both the Bush and the Obama administration, there was a operation called Observant Compass, where we put a lot of effort into ending the fight with the Lord's Resistance Army and bringing a lot of children home. Anthony was key to that. This was long after he had actually escaped. But so many um, American servicemen and women that worked on that know Anthony. I mean, bring his name up back there and they just start smiling because he's, as you'll, I'm sure even through this long distance chat, realize just how good of a person he is. Um, but so the, the, the issue here in Uganda has been mitigated. That's a good news story. Uh, but to your point, uh, worldwide, the United Nations said it has doubled in the Middle East in the last two years. And it is something that uh, spreads from the Far East and the Philippines to South America uh, and a lot of concentration in Africa, Niger, for example, uh, South Sudan, and in the Middle East, Syria, Yemen, Libya. Uh, so it is something that, you know, from, from my and my partner Eric's perspective at Lobo Institute, and in-child soldiering needs to be addressed because no adult should be okay with children fighting the wars that they start. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's such a serious issue that we definitely need to bring more light to globally. And I just got a quick, like, quick question for you. And then I want to talk to Anthony. Are you guys starting the child, you're, you're ending child soldiering. Is this is, is this the start of the journey to end it? Because I know it's all over the place or are you guys only focusing on Uganda because there's only so much one human could do with funding and what's going on out there. Are you guys making this a global effort starting there because you and Anthony met and you know the family or are your focus, is your focus mainly helping the um, former child soldiers there in Uganda? Yeah, so our, we were both, Eric and I are both on the board of Grassroots Reconciliation Group, which focuses on Uganda. But in-child soldiering is global. So thanks to Mark, um, a large portion or a pretty substantial portion of the book that he's writing is going to go to in-child soldiering. So we're going to be able to address this worldwide. I mean, I already told you how, you know, Anthony and myself are, are basically family. Uh, his, his two youngest sons are my godsons, which I got to meet for the first time here. So I am never going to stop uh, focusing on Uganda, regardless. And it is it is a good news story that the LRA is over. And now all these, all these uh, kids or people that were forced to be child soldiers are getting incorporated back. So I don't want to say that we're leaving this effort because it's still a lot to be done. 
but it, but we are really going to focus uh, globally. Nice, which, which we're going to get into this a little bit later on in the show. But Anthony, first of all, um, thank you so much for taking the time um, to be on the show. Love the jersey you're wearing. But can you, I want to kind of get into your background. How old were you when you became a child soldier? And can you kind of describe how you were abducted? I was abducted in Obilo uh, village in Gulu, Gulu is in Uganda city. So in 1994, when I was in primary seven, the LRI came and attacked us in Lord Obilo. So we have been eating, coming to chasing Wibabat in the gardens, in our rice. So the LRI came, fine, we are seated. And the towns, the where we are, the village, is almost 25 kilometers to the towns. So the LRA came at around seven evenings. Fine, we are eating with my brothers, four of them, and they surrounded us. The advance come and collect us and tied us three pieces, and they begin moving with us. They ask us where is the people selling soap, sugars, sweet, biscuit. So they want us to take them where they can get salt in that market. So we moved and that night, we reached there. They gave me a kilo of, 40 kilo of uh, salts. And I was 14 years by that time. I tried to escape. Escape, I reached on the way when I'm coming back home, I met another group, they arrested me again. They say, why are you escaping? the many groups. They take me back with some other abductees. They put us, three of us, down, and they kill two of them. And the big commander say, don't kill this one. When they're killing with the bayonet, I don't know if you know bayonet, this bayonet is on the green, on top of the guns. So they use that one to kill. They kill those two. They're supposed to come and kill me. But that commander held me and picked me, say, you untied that guy, untied Anthony, and they untied me. I wake up, say, follow me. And I follow him, say, where I'm going to step, I want you to step also. Did your, Were your brothers recruited into the LRA with you at the time? I can explain. To you, and then you can explain. Yeah. So, yes, he was abducted with his brothers, and he can explain this. Um, but um, he talked them into letting two of them go, uh, and they let them go because they were just too sm- young. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're still here today. They, they were actually in the documentary. Uh, and the other one wasn't, and he was killed. Did you, um, like, how long were you in the LRA for before? And I know you escaped um, a while back. Um, how long were you there before you escaped? And how many times did you try to escape before they kept bringing you back in? So she wants to know how long were you in the LRA? And then how many times did you uh, escape before you? I was... 11 years in the LRA, and I tried to escape two times. Because one time I survived. The commander helped me, say, don't kill, let this guy, uh, don't kill this guy, untied him. And he asked me, are you going to escape again? To try to escape again, I tell him, I'm not going to try to escape until I die in the bush. Because I've seen two of my colleagues was killed and I remained. So we went to Sudan and I escaped. The last one I escaped. Did you like? Did you quick question for you, Anthony? Is um, what was the training like? Like, did, did the LRA? I mean, we see a lot of 
this in the news and in movies and documentaries? Did they just put a gun in your hand and you had to figure out how to use it? Or did they put you through some kind of military training? And what was that like? So, um, yes, and he'll explain it, but I just to tell him about the whole thing with the river yeah. running and the learning okay. to get the guns and all this stuff. So uh, when we are taken to Southern Sudan, we have taken to the hill called Ludu. And first in Ludu, they have been training us with a prayer. After Ludu, they took us to Gong. We reached Gong. After one month, they took us for the training called Gong Hill. So from Gong Hill there, we have been many, and they train us how to open the gun, how uh, the gun used, description of the guns from SMG, uh, uh, RPG, uh, PKMs, uh, B10 recoilance, 82 recoilance, they train us. And from there, the, the drills, they train us with matching, how you salute your boss, so they were kind of there to support the guy, the other kids that did have guns to egg them on and stuff. And I know this is kind of a sensitive, I mean, it's a very sensitive topic, Anthony. So, I mean, Mick, you kind of, kind of helped me rephrase this. And just when you're going into battle and you're a child, you have a gun. Was it, I mean, I know the LRA was all, I know the crimes against humanity and everything from Coney and all that down. But when you as a child were walking in, did they just send you into these villages and tell you and force you to either kill people or be killed? Or were you just there as support for them, like a military background type, being a child for protection of them? I mean, what was that role like? And like, how do they handle you guys? Because you guys are kids with guns, and I know they're training you to kill. But was that the goal, being a child, to go into these villages with them and do with all the killings and pilferage in the villages? Or were you? is your role, and when you're a child soldier, was your experience more having a gun, protecting others around you? Or were you kind of on the front lines doing most of the dirty work for the, um, for the LRA? Uh, Joseph Conch send you to the fields to fight. When you go to the fields, they warn you people, uh, child soldiers in the field, you kill your enemy, you got. Uh, if anyone escaped, they warn you people to be killed, to keep that person who has escaped, uh, the young soldiers, because you know, those who are almost 18 years upward or 20 years, they are mature, they know what they are doing. But for you, they force you to do what you don't even want. If you fail to do it, they will turn onto you. They will turn onto you to kill you. And then one thing that's uh, unusual about the Lord's Resistance Army is that it became almost an entirely, an army almost entirely made up of child soldiers, right? Child soldiers are incorporated to a lot of armies around the world, but most of them aren't an army of child soldiers. So this, you know, by the end was essentially um, nothing but children. And uh, they would do what they're told because, you know, as adults know, their children do what they're told and they didn't have an option. So it's a very important point that this wasn't something that they, it wasn't an ideology you know, like ISIS or something that they agreed with. They were taken in and they either did what they're told or they were disposed of. 
It was it because you know primarily you have some of these primarily all children soldiers in the LRA. Anthony, were you tasked to go recruit other children and kids your age? No. No, so there was no recruitment involved in the LRA. It was pure abduction. They'd go into villages and take, um, take kids. LRA cannot say we want to recruit people. They will come and abduct you from your home by force and take you to the bush. Okay, so um, Anthony, you, you were um, injured seven times while you were um, sitting in the LRA. Were, be, were these injuries tell us a little about them were these during battle um that you were shot and from what we understand the last time you were shot was when you did try to escape is that correct so uh i shot seven to six times in the lra the first one when i was 14 years they took us to the place called poge uh we went to attack the SPLA. When we reached there, so they shot me here on my right hand uh, with the bombs, and the bomb went to my colleague, which is on my right. He blasted on the head of that person. The person died. It also young. Also, that guy also 15 years, I think. The bomb blasted onto his head. So for me, I remain when I cannot move. I don't. I try to wake up. I cannot. Try to crawl with my gun because in the LR, when you left your gun, they will kill you. I try to crawl, come back. I can't. But there's a guy called Kelama come and carry me, try to carry me, and we move with him up to the main group. Reaching there, we find many, many, many young guy, young soldiers, also their injury. Even commander himself, the leg was broken. So we stayed there. All the medicine they have given to us, mushroom, they make mushroom with salt. So Anthony was, as he just said, he was shot multiple times. He still has a bullet in his back. Um, and then the last one, he was actually hit with an RPG, a rocket-propelled grenade that uh, skidded off yeah. his chest and almost severed his arm off uh, and killed the person next to him. And his, one of his closest friends saved him from that. He wasn't given any medical treatment. So when he was talking about the mushroom, that was simply to detach himself from the psychedelic uh, from the actual injury. And then uh, he, was, he was believed to have been almost died and almost got buried uh, until they realized that he didn't, he didn't die and he actually survived without any real that's just it just treatment. amazes me because i mean they're little kids and that they have to like i mean I, yes i get to give them the mushroom psychedelics to detach from the pain but to have no medical treatment it's just it's astounding that you've survived through so much anthony and was able to get out of that when you did and so they left you to die gonna take us what how did you survive this? And did you just get up? Were you saved? I think you were rescued by your wife, Florence, and you just kind of healed on your own and walked away? Or how did you at that point end up breaking away from the LRA for good? We went to the place called Jebelen in 1998. 1998, 1998, 1999, Florence lost the husband. 
after he lost the husband in the battles. So court order to those who lost their husband should be married with any soldiers who won, but not the senior commander. Those young soldiers can marry those who lost their husband. So that's a great opportunity to get Florence. Florence came to face water near my house because I was a signaler. I was connecting a wire, batteries, and solar. So Florence came, I greet her, and he greet me. So I tell her, uh, where are you staying? I ask her and say, I stay in that place of the commander. Say, I want to see you. I want to talk to you. Because they have saved their hair to us to identify this one. They allowed us to, to talk to her or to marry. Uh, I follow her where she was staying. I talk to her. She say, no, you wait. Uh, that commander who was taking care of Florence, he say, no, Florence, this is a good guy. He's a very good guy. Anthony is a good guy. Since I was staying with him, he's good. Can you go marry uh, Anthony? And I go to the boss. Boss also accepted, called Florence, talked to the Florence, say, this is the man we like. Have a good behavior. So when you marry this guy, he'll be good. But Florence selected me. And again, Florence accept, accepted me, say, Anthony, uh, I have many people that are supporting you. Maybe you're a good person, so I accept you now. If possible, you take the report to your boss that I accepted. And I tell her also, you go to your boss, tell him you accepted me. That's what happened. So, so to help uh, your listeners who might not be so familiar with understanding Ugandan uh, English, um, so what happened is um, Florence was forced to be married to a very senior commander, older, um, which essentially is, was obviously not a marriage. Um, and she resisted and she fought back. And uh, I think in a stroke of good, uh, he was killed in battle. And Anthony um, had seen her uh, at the river. <laughs> at the well, at the well. Yeah, at the well. Me at the well. Me yeah. house. Yeah. Um, because he was a radio operator at the time. And they became like generally, they're basically the same age. Um, and she wanted to, uh, if she had to be with somebody else, she wanted to be with Anthony. Uh, the commander was a little hesitant because Anthony had already had this horrendous injury uh, and said, you know, he's the broken boy. Why would you want to be with the broken boy? And she still actually uh, calls him that today. Her, you know, her broken boy. Uh, he's not broken. He's, he's tough as woodpecker lips. But um, anyway, so he was allowed to marry in the bush, which for their culture doesn't really count as marry. So that's another part of the story. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Let me ask you, Anthony, was Florence part of the LRA at the time? Yes. The influence what? Yeah. So he wants to know if Florence was part of the LRA. So if you can tell him you know, how Florence was abducted in the train. Uh, Florence was abducted in 1998. We met there when he came to face water near my house. And I've seen her also, she's very beautiful. And she also see me and say, no, uh, like now can order us to marry those women who lost their husband, me, I'll marry Florence. I know that Joseph Coney was the uh, leader of the LRA at the time. Did you ever have a chance to see him or talk to him? I met Joseph Cohen many times because I was the radio operator of him also sometime. I moved with him. Oh. Yeah, so I mean, one of the reasons why uh, Anthony is so important um, is he was uh, Joseph Coney's radio operator. So after he was injured, 
they trained him as a night navigator, which so he can he, he's a very smart fellow. He figured out he knows how to navigate using the stars, hence the name of the documentary, My Star in the Sky. Got it. Um, and then he became a radio operator and knew the whole code system of the LRA. So he knows Joseph Coney, unfortunately, better than probably anybody else. But to your other question, so you know, Florence was a soldier. Okay. Florence was a fighting soldier. She, they, they was both uh, girls and boys that fought in the LRA. And Florence was a fighter uh, who actually gave birth to their second child during a firefight. That's amazing. Uh, yes. It seems to be a, a big question right now whether Joseph Coney is alive or dead. I, it, what do you know about that whole situation? Uh, Joseph Coney knowing he died or he's alive is very difficult. But for me, I know Joseph Coney is still alive because Joseph Coney staying where no one can meet him and no one can deceive us to the continent died. Except if anyone escaped from his group and you'll get the real report that Joseph Kong has died. Because many times people were saying Joseph Kong has died. Has he tried to contact you since you escaped, Anthony? Has Joseph Coney tried to reach out to you since you escaped in uh, 2005? You to escape? Yeah. Have you talked to Joseph Coney since 2005? Yes, I talked to Joseph Coney in 2005, but he was going to Central Africa, Republic of Congo. He told me uh, I supposed to follow them. Why I escaped? Because uh, I've seen my wife, Florence. I hear the voice, she escaped. So I say that is what was delaying me to escape with my children. So now my children, plus my wife, they at home. I'm not going to cross River Nile, going to Central Africa. I'm going to escape. So there's a coins come and pass 2005 where I was. So after he escaped, he hasn't talked to Coney. In 2005 is when he, yes. he made the escape. How did it, how did you, um, you and Florence and the boys escape? I mean, were they coming after you? Did you guys kind of hide out for a while or was it an easy, time to escape as they were moving into the Congo and other parts of the area. So you want to talk about just a little bit about how Florence escaped from Patrick? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Florence supposed to be released when we have attacked in Southern Sudan because court order those who have two children to be released and they have released someone who if the women who have one kid should not be released because we are not the one who order those girls to be abducted. Say, I'm the one who order, Conse, I'm the one who order abducted, abducted people, but not you. So don't ask, don't release anyone if I'm not ordering you to release. So the two Florence very far, we separated in 2004, 2002, we separated. I was on the other side very far where Florence is, almost about 500 kilometers. Yeah. So, Florence from there, we bump onto them and we stay together with them. After that, uh, I have my friend called Patrick. I talked to the Patrick's, can you help me to release Florence with your tricks? Tell the group that Florence escaped. But in your mind, I'm, I'm begging you, you are my friend, send Florence back home. Because Florence alone cannot come back home because I have two children. It's not easy to move, reaching where the civilian is, because we are very deep inside the bush. Sometimes two, 
three working days. So if you escape three working days, they will get you on the way, they will arrest you, or sometimes they kill you. So that commander uh, helped me escort the Florence up to the main road and get a bus call, carry, get someone with a bus call and put Florence on that bus call. We took it and they took Florence up to the town. That's how Florence came home. And his case escaped with the tricks. I'd say she escaped with the tricks because if we didn't play in that tricks, she cannot come back home. Fighting with the LRA and them them talking to you about their goals. I mean, they apparently they wanted to stop government oppression. What did they tell you what their ultimate goal was, Anthony? So you want to explain the, what the LRA wanted to do with taking over the country. Yeah, okay. You know, so, Joseph Cohen say, him himself is not a fighter. Only spirit, spirit come to him, no spirit therefore. Oriska, Juma Oriska from Sudan. He said that Juma Oriska, the one who took us to Sudan. And Juma Oriska is a good fighter. He wants us to overthrow the government of Uganda. And Joseph Cohen say, you don't want even to be a president. When uh, we overthrew the government, he is going to select someone to be a president. So his attack, say, the spirit, the one who tell him, go and attack the place, go and attack the UPDF. So for us also, we go when he tell us to go and attack, you go and attack because you are under pressure behind. You cannot go alone to attack the government because you are young, you don't have a plan to make an attack. So Joseph Kony wanted to overthrow the government in Kampala of uh, President Museveni. Uh, and he wanted to apparently install like a government based on the Ten Commandments and no. theocratically based. No. So the kid, they were all kids and they, and it, they were, they kind of mixed up uh, religion and mysticism together. And the guy spoke through many different uh, spirits, if you will, almost like a, what we call a multi-personality disorder. Or not, so, well, yeah, disorder. He had, he had multiple personalities. Uh, and the kids would listen to them because um, you know, they're kids. And uh, he told them that they were going to take over the government. the government. And he say, when you take over the government, you see all the houses built in the town. You go and write your name in one house that is yours. So in your mind, your brain not yet mature. You will think that it's true when you overthrow the government. We are going to write on that big house, big flat. I write, my name is Anthony. This is my house. So no one can come and chase me. That's what Coins was telling people. And you see the good car, you go and say, go away inside the car, this is my car now. You pick it. So you know people, when you are young, you undermine good things. So that is why, and that's why he abducted young soldiers because he was recruit, he was uh, abducting big soldiers, big, big men, but the big men, their brain is mature, they cannot take long, they escaped. Uh, because they know even the direction, where they are, but the young one, they don't know direction. They say, well, if I escape from here, where can I go? Become difficult. And and the young passion, changing the mind is very easy because you are young. Your brain not yet this one. Did you did you actually uh, were you actually a believer in in what they were trying to do at one time? Did you were you influenced by that? No, so, uh, you know, I was child. And your brain, as I told you, the, our brain was not yet matured. So what Cohen was telling you, like your dad, if your daddy tell you do this, 
you know this is the good thing, the right things. And you cannot refuse. Because if you refuse, you will be cane. Eh? My daddy will cane you. Why you refuse to do what? I told you to shoot the compound. You refuse. Why? It cane you. That's what happened in LRA also. Anything you do, you do by force. Okay. Let's, let's ask about uh, your meeting, Mick. How, how did you guys end up meeting? The President Obama agreed the American army to come and uh, help the UPDF with the intelligence, getting information, giving information to the LRA, to the UPDF. Because UPDF, they failed to get information from the LRA. Uh, America have knowledge to get information from the LRA. And when they came, I was working with the UPDF. I get a call from uh, a MP minister called Betty Bigombe that they want me to come and help uh, people with the communication, LRA communication. You know, LRA, they, can't, they don't talk direct that you, now we are going to kill you. Just you will kill. No. Say, number one, take this person, number one. Or oh, number two. So number two means injury. Number one means died, killed, or crossed the river. Say, crossing the river, they can't say, ah, oh, we already crossed the river. No, they say the river, they change the name of the river, Odong. So we say, have you done Odong? Say, yes, we have finished. So which means you have crossed the river. So no one know the LRA language outside here. Only me, I was trained by the Sudan governments how to use the radio. Essentially, I was just part of a bigger uh, effort by the Americans to assist the Ugandans in ending the LRA. Uh, and by ending, I mean, like, not killing them all, but to get them to come out of the bush. And I, I assume you figured out that means, yeah. like, in the field fighting. Um, and that's where I met Anthony. And Anthony is key, as he described, because he understood the communication system the it LRA used. It sounds to me that, Anthony, that. You just, you're such a smart guy, and being a kid going through all of this, you were so invaluable to Coney being his right-hand man on the radio and all the everything he needed. That almost saved your life when you got shot the last time because you were almost, of all the kids, you were so valuable to them. Do you believe that that actually saved your life? And, you know, because you were so valuable, hence why Mick and his team needed you. I mean, were you at all worried and scared when you were having, when you met Mick and um, with Obama and you had to go in and kind of, and make is this the right word, double agent? And he was trying to help you guys, but he was trying to translate. I mean, was there a lot of fear that put Anthony's life in danger during that time when you met him? So he wasn't a double agent. He, he had already gotten out. He got out in 2005 and he, the Ugandans, I recruited a lot of former LRA soldiers yes. into their army. So uh, Anthony was a UPDF, which is the Ugandan People's Defense Force, which is Ugandan Army officer. Uh, so he, okay, he wait, to be so an so officer. UPDF That's why he was is Uganda's military, so to speak. And so just come clear. So when Anthony got, right. I mean, I know you, you escaped the LRA. You had to hide. You had to make sure you and your family were safe for, I'm assuming, a long time you know, to stay under the radar and, and not, you know, and out of their way to be safe, you ended up going into Uganda's army because of your value and knowledge of the LRA. And am I correct on that's how the transition happened, right, Mick? 
Correct. That and, and Anthony became a Ugandan army officer. That's why he worked with us. But then it was, you know, his knowledge was incredibly helpful. I met him there, and then I just became we just became friends, quite frankly. Um, and we've been friends ever since. And I know his family, and, as you know. Um, and and that's that's really how I became fascinated with the story, um, not just. And then their their personal story became so compelling. Uh, you haven't even talked to Florence yet. Um, that it's one of those stories that you hear in life, and it just inspires you. It makes you want to be a better person. Um, quite frankly, and Anthony and Florence have taken in people and helped so many other people that were uh, victims of the LRA. Uh, and that's really what we're trying to do: is tell their stories through their own words. Uh, and also, you know, and, and uh, Mark Sullivan being able to write this book, which I can't wait to come out. Um, but that's really going to get people to understand not only the, the terrible things that had to be endured by these kids that were taken into the LRA, but the fact that you can overcome it and have a have a healthy and, and prosperous Anthony, life. And that's really what we're trying to do. I know you've been through a lot. And just amazing as an adult, how you're able to tell your story and help others. Have you remained friends with any of these other child soldiers that were either abducted with you or that you became friends with throughout your time in the LRA who also escaped? Yes, I was a friend. I have a friend, many. But my best friend was Patrick. Patrick was my best friend because he helped me a lot. I was with him in the barrels. He carried me when I was dead. I shot, he helped me, and he helped me to bring my family back home. So he's my best friend up to now. He's my best friend. When I find him also, I feel like my best brothers right now. The way you see uh, Michael now keeping me and uh, helping me a lot. Like now, connect me with you, you hear my voice, or this is the work of Michael. So I like Patrick's. Because he's my good friend. All the LR will return back home. They are my friend also, but not them. The Patrick is the most important. Yeah, no, definitely. He saved your life. Uh, this is such an amazing story, Mick. Um, you know, we're excited the book's coming out. Anthony, I, just, there's so much more to talk about. And I'm so happy that we had you on the show and that, you know, you form such a tight bond with Mick. And Eric and those guys to tell your story. I just think telling your story is going to help so many others come out and get help or seek out help. And there's so many you could help. It, Mick, you guys are wrapping up your time down there. I know in the next few days to come back to the States. And I know Global Institute, this is one of your primary goals or one of many with you guys to end child soldiering. Where do you see this going from here in Uganda and the rest of the world? I mean, is this something that's gonna be a long-term, you know, money's gotta come in, they've gotta support this globally. Um, do you see this as we're getting closer to ending child soldiering? I mean, where are your future goals with the Lobo Institute on child soldiering in general? So uh, like I mentioned, the, the war here, the conflict here is is done for the most part. Are you, are you, are you worried? Are you worried it's going to uh, rise again? Or are you pretty confident with everything today that it's done for good? 
um, I'm always worried that it could rise in this part of the world. Um, but I would say that it's one, we still have a lot of kids up here that has to deal with the, with the after effects of being forced to do the things that they were forced to do. And I emphasize forced. Um, but they can also become a model for other places in the world. So we hope to use the group here, uh, Grassroots Reconciliation Group, to, to train people in other parts of the world where this is still a raging uh, issue. So Eric and I have spent a lot of time today, for example, with, with this group talking about how they could become a, a center of excellence, a, a training facility, because um, they've dealt with it, for, to other places. Um, to be able to export the things that they do, which includes not only counseling them on the trauma that they've gone through, but getting them accepted back into their village, getting them a vocation, right? Because it's not just, it's not just, you know, they have to have a, a job, quite frankly, they have to have a means to support themselves. And they missed all of that with education and training. So this group does all of the above, you know, whether it's agriculture or, or something like that, where they learn a skill that they can that they could then use uh, when they get back to society. So this this group we learned today has done amazing things. And we want to see them uh, be able to teach that to other groups around the world and other conflicts uh, so that they have a means to, to uh, quite frankly, support themselves that doesn't involve I just uh, think it's amazing. And I love that's so spot on that you have this almost like a case study. You have this group you're working on down there as um, the example where the rest of the world needs to follow to take the same pattern to other parts of conflicted areas to help save people's lives and get guns out of children's hands. Um, I'm so glad you came on and took the time to do this. Mick, I know it wasn't easy um, being down there and I so appreciate it. This is such an important issue right now, globally. Where can people go or where can you direct them to, to you know, either to get involved, to support, um, donate? Where is a good place to send anybody? Um, so the Grassroots Reconciliation Group, you can look at, you can Google that and go there. And they're they are directly supporting um, these, these folks uh, on the ground here in Uganda. And then we have the In Child Soldiering, which is, Google that, it'll go to the Lobo Institute website, but this is, it's an NGO that we started, uh, 501c3. Uh, all donations go uh, to the groups that we support. Uh, and that's, and then of course there's other groups out there too, right? So if, if you choose another one, that's fine with us. It still goes to the to the issue of uh, ending the use of children as soldiers uh, and, and really trying to help these kids uh, who were forced to do uh, combat. It's some of the most uh, yeah. horrific, so, horrific so, uh, situations. And it's Lobo, L-O-B-O, institute.com, correct? Dot .org, sorry. Lobo, institute.org org, yes. um, on all these efforts and stuff. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for calling in. I so appreciate this last minute shift in schedules to make this happen for us. Um, Mick, this is such an ongoing story. I know we have you coming back on in a few weeks again on some other conflict areas, but we definitely do want to stay in touch and pivot around to keep an eye on this issue as it grows and moves around with you. Um, so we're looking forward to getting more information from you and talking to you again soon. But until then, you know, have a safe trip back to the States. Anthony, such a tremendous pleasure talking to you and meeting you right now and hearing your story. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. This was really helpful. 
<laughs> I was just going to wrap us up and go over that. So we have a lot of editing, but until then, we talk to you again, Mick. This is Sarah Miller, Global Crisis Watch with Joe Pirate. We'll see everybody soon. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for Global Crisis Watch. This Media Mavens podcast special presentation is brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network. To find more podcasts and to learn more about our hosts and guests, please go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.